they had messed up with the piping. And at one point we came home from vacation and there was a four foot gaping hole in our bedroom ceiling. Welcome back, rich girls and boys, to the Rich Girl Roundup weekly discussion of The Money with Katie Show. I'm your host, Katie Yadi Tossan, and every Monday morning, we are going to dig into an interesting money dialogue. But before we do, here's a quick message from the sponsors of this episode. All right, before we get into it, this week's upcoming main episode on Wednesday is about why we, we meaning my husband and I, decided to continue renting in 2023 because we actually considered buying uh, with our move to Sacramento, but we looked at the numbers, we looked at the landscape, and we thought, you know what? (laughs) Not for us, not the time. So we're going to talk through a lot of things to consider when you're making this choice for yourself. Maybe a lease is ending in the next few months or you're moving somewhere else and you're like, all right, I got to run this analysis anew. So we've got a great guest from actually from Zillow, as a matter of fact, which I'm excited about. But okay, on to the roundup. Henna, how you doing? I'm good. I actually was inspired by this question because you and I are both in the state of moving. So the question this week is, is there such a thing as an ethical landlord? I love it. And all the feudal, all the, it's like the, what is the, uh, like serfdom? Yes, that is actually part of what is I was going to talk notes, about. The word surf. <laughs> well, not the word surf. The underlying premise of this entire question in landlordship is is that in itself inherently unethical. Is owning property immoral? And are landlords themselves the ones who are unethical, or is it the whole premise in general? So there's lots to unpack here. Mm, okay, I'm trying to refrain from making my entire opinion based on my own anecdotal experiences and trying to think about it more objectively because I've only had positive experiences with the people I've leased from. I was thinking about it more broadly, and I think it's a bit of a chicken or egg because on the one hand, I think of housing as consumption, as Mm. a product or service to be consumed. And I think that Different people have different preferences about how they consume housing. Renting is no longer an option if everyone has to be an owner in order to have a home. But it's chicken or egg in the sense that if there are fewer landlords, housing is more affordable. So like if everyone is only ever allowed to own one home, prices would be lower overall and maybe renting wouldn't be the more attractive option in the cities that we've lived in. For example, in 2021, 20% of all new home purchases went to investors, whether mom and pop or institutions. So kind of stands to reason that if 20% of the inventory that year, and I don't know how that extrapolates over time, that was just the last one that I was able to pull numbers for, that it's influencing prices, right? And so I think my personal experience as someone who enjoys renting and would prefer to be a renter than a homeowner is that I've had really good experiences with landlords and I don't want to own the place that I live. So I need a rental market in order to do that. But I do think that 
when you break down long-term versus short-term rentals, that's where the conversation, I think, is more a lot more open to an ethical gray area. I do think that from a more tactical standpoint, you and I, Katie, have rented for most of our adult lives. Yeah. I have had experiences that run the gamut. I can share a couple of those examples where I've had horrible rental experiences and then really fantastic ones. You know what? Let's come out the gate strong. Give me a nightmare scenario. (laughs) We have moved six times in the last eight and a half years in the time that my husband and I have been together. We had this basement apartment. They had turned it into an Airbnb rental above us. Mm. And I guess that they had messed up with the piping or whatever. And at one point we came home from vacation and there was a four foot gaping hole in our bedroom ceiling. And... So obviously, we like text our landlord and we're like, hey, "Hey, what's up with the hole? Leaking, like hole, like huge. I can include a photo in the show notes for people who are curious. I'm talking huge. And it took them eight months to fix it and address it. And they kept being like, well, the leak had all this moisture. It needs to dry out. And it was a lot of runaround. And I was just like, I don't know, call me crazy. But for, I think it was $1,900 at the time, a month, I should have a bedroom that has a ceiling, like a full ceiling in it. Did you pursue legal recourse in that scenario? We threatened it. We also threatened to like just fix it ourselves and charge them, but they kept being like, well, we're going to do it. We're, someone's going to come by. My contractor's going to come. And like, yes, they would come, but nothing would be like fully fixed. And then I've had experiences that were really, really fantastic. So I think that I'm staunchly still kind of in the middle, but what was your gut feeling when you saw the question? When rental market vacancy was one and a half percent in New York City in 2022, there were more Airbnbs in New York City than long-term rentals that were available for residents. At the end of the day, housing is a fundamental need. Everyone needs it. And so if it's too commodified as an asset class, then that is directly at odds with what's actually best for society to the benefit of maybe a select few. And so I think that that Jerusalem Demsas article in The Atlantic really nailed it where she wrote housing policy in the U.S. is a paradox because we are simultaneously trying to make it a piggy bank that is supposed to make you rich and be a store of wealth and appreciate faster than inflation And also, we're trying to make it affordable for everyone. Well, guess what? You can't do that. You can't have both. And so I think we're really coming to a point in history where we're going to face a bit of a reckoning. But I have an easier time arguing that just renting out your primary residence because you're going to move and someone else is going to live in it and you're not going to try to price gouge them. Like, I don't think that that is unethical. However, if like, a city that already has very little affordable housing and a homelessness problem, and you own 50 Airbnbs that make you a million dollars a year, like that is definitely a different situation, I think. There's someone very close to me, actually, who's a landlord, but he doesn't believe in raising rent for no reason. When COVID was happening, they kept rent the same. I think they've marginally raised it three or 5% in the last three years that their tenants have been there. 
they believe in timely responses and repairs. Like, I don't think that it's a prereq that a landlord has to be predatory (laughs) or unethical. And I think this person is proof of that. But I do think, given my own experiences, but just in general, when we have a lot of these, like, large-scale property management conglomerate places that are charging you at every little corner or they're making rent prices unaffordable or they're buying the available things that are out there, to your point about one-fifth of homes going to investors, I think that's where it becomes really gray for me. So I don't think that there is a clear-cut answer here, but there are ethical approaches to landlordship and then also like really community-driven approaches that are like the group equity housing and housing co-ops and that kind of thing. That's like two separate things. But in terms of like ethical landlordship, what do you consider to be an ethical landlord? I don't know that it's up to me to say. Like, I don't know that I could give you a list of things because I think it's one of those things where like, it's probably pretty obvious. Like, You shouldn't have to be told that you should not leave a hole in someone's ceiling for eight months. Like, I think it's pretty clear, like, what's shitty and what's not to do as someone that has, like, human beings living in a place that you live, right? I mean, a lot of it is state-mandated, but I think that a lot of people's... Okay, so that's actually where I wanted to go, is, like, I don't think it should be up to the subjective person. Like, I think they're... Rather than being like, it's up to you and the goodness of your heart to to do right by people. Yeah. Like, I think you just need better policy in place to be like, what do we all agree is like a reasonable expectation for a property owner that's going to rent it out to tenants? And that's part of what makes this question tough anytime you're like talking about the ethical intersection of a financial decision and people who ultimately also have to live in the system under which that might be their only option. I know that that sounds like crazy, but I personally know people who were making $40,000, $50,000 a year working as social workers or teachers. And because they were able to save up for a down payment to buy a duplex, like they were able to build wealth because like they were house hacking or something. And I just think that there, it becomes a slippery slope too. I think it opens the can of worms of like, well, if we just paid those kinds of roles more, but yes, continue your point. Yeah. I think that that's totally fair. That would also be a solution, but like, I don't think it'd be fair to look at like a teacher who's making $50,000 a year and like is house hacking and be like, that's actually unethical because you're taking how it's like that person is no better off than probably the person that they're renting to at that point. So I think that ultimately everyone has to do what they have to do to get by and get ahead in the construct that they exist. Right. Um, but I think that, yeah, there are probably like both shitty and upstanding ways to do that. Yeah, I think fundamentally there's nothing wrong with it, but it's more of your approach to renting out that kind of makes all the difference. And I think it is then impacted also by levels of like scale and greed, honestly. So yeah, that's tough. It almost gets into, I think, nimbyism, zoning, regulatory stuff as far as like, you know, in 75% of San Francisco, they're not allowed to build apartments. Is that not more impactful to the housing prices than like someone owning two homes? Like, I think that that's where I almost think you have to get into like root causes, I guess. Or like, I think 
having Airbnbs or being a rental property investor, I think is more of, to your point about like, would, well, would this problem be fixed if you just like paid people more? I think they're almost reactions to or like symptoms of larger problems rather than the root cause of those problems. But I don't know. That's just a hunch. I think you're spot on. I think the housing crisis has gotten to this point because of a bunch of different factors, income inequality, NIMBYs. I think the way that certain neighborhoods were even laid out, like if you look at Los Angeles and the ways that the highway that goes in between was like separating specific classes, it all comes down to all those different factors. But I think your reflection that it's sort of a symptom of or a response to is 100% accurate. But I also... It's funny when you search like ethical landlord, Mm -hmm. or I've seen people debate this online. It's like, well, you're a communist if you believe one thing, and you're like a conservative if you believe another thing, or you're a socialist. Like, I just think that people have very strong feelings on it. For sure. And I think ethics is even harder to pin down, even just like the very fundamental premise of the question. Like, even ethics are not black and white. Like, there are entire fields of study that aim to understand, like, what even is the definition of some? Is it, like, do no harm? Is that the standard? Is it the golden rule? Like, what is the benchmark that you have to clear to be considered ethical in your behavior? And, like, you know, every religion or, like, worldview has a different standard as well. So this was another fun one. I know if you missed last week's Rich Girl Roundup, we talked about deservingness and worthiness and earning things. And I do think that this kind of falls into that same category of it might honestly raise more questions than it really answers. And like we didn't, I think, go into this episode hoping to come to a very clear-cut conclusion. But it definitely was something that got me really thinking about not just property ownership, but wealth ownership in general. And like, is it ethical to hoard wealth too? Like, not just, it's like resource hoarding all around. It's those larger, bigger picture, life purpose, resource questions of like, what do you owe to your fellow man? What do you deserve to have yourself? I think that these topics are actually super connected, um, which is really interesting. And I think people have to come to those levels of comfort with themselves. Like I do believe that it is possible to have a net positive outcome and that it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. But I do think that when taken to extremes, it's pretty obvious how hoarding of anything can be a net negative for everyone. Yeah. It's the difference between hoarding profits, hoarding property, hoarding this, and being able to say, I have enough and I don't need to take any more than that Mm -hmm. because it will benefit other people. Yeah. And I def- I have mixed feelings about it because I think people should be able to build wealth. And I like really believe in women, especially building wealth and having optionality. Um, so it's I think we had that question once that was like, what is enough? At what point is it no longer ethical for you to build wealth? And I'm like, I don't freaking know. Is the question itself like, is the premise valid? Like what, I, you know, you have to decide for yourself what's enough. And like, if what you're doing is hurting someone else. And I think at extremes, it's easier to recognize. But if you're just like a regular person that's working your job and maybe even has a rental property and you're like, well, crap, I don't know. I'm just trying to retire before I'm 60. It's tough. It's a hard question to answer. Yeah. I think I'm going to come back to my answer before, which is that I think it matters when it starts to get at scale and how you define 
scale is up to you. But for me, like, I think I'd have my own boundaries and Katie, you'd probably have your own, et cetera. So what a fascinating topic. We covered so much within this, like, lots of ground question. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all for this week's Rich Girl Roundup. And we will see you on Wednesday to further the housing convo and talk about the very tactical angle of renting or buying in 2023 and all the numbers to run, things to consider, etc. before you sign another lease or put down a down payment. Bye.